0: Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 213 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Shining Knight, an interview with Brett Knight. My name is Richard Johansson,
1: And I'm Matt Sabatello.
0: Matt, this is a young woman who became a shining knight in our community by overcoming a number of really difficult challenges, both in her early childhood and then later on in her early adult life. Rich, Brett went through a lot in her long journey. She was called the crazy one by her
1: friends and family, yet she continued to lean on her intuition, and fight to find out what was really going on with her. Once she got her Lyme diagnosis, she treated with a wide variety of protocols like NAD, thymus therapy, stem cells, and even B-Venom therapy. Some of these therapies actually made her feel worse,
0: others actually helped her feel better temporarily, and others were long-term solutions. So Matt, we're calling this young woman a shining knight in our community because she is a wonderful example of resilience. And she's also someone who just would not allow anyone, including her own family, to keep her down. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce Brett Knight, our shining knight, to the Tick Bootcamp community.
2: Hey, Brett, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, we're really excited to have you, Brett. We've been, uh, we've been waiting a long time to get you on the podcast and we finally have you here. And uh, I know our folks cannot see you, but you look wonderful with your really cool hat on and we're really excited to go forward with this podcast. So, Brett, can you share with us uh, and our listeners we, where you are calling in from?
2: I am residing in sunny California. I live in San Clemente. I have lived here for seven and a half, eight years. And it's a beautiful day outside. So I am just ready to share my journey with you guys.
0: All right. And we're really excited to have you share your journey with us. So, so talk to us a little bit about um, about your life. Um, uh, uh, and I understand you, you're, uh, you're a young mom. So talk to us about that experience.
2: I am. Um, I'm 26 years old. I'll be 27 next month. And I have a son who is two and a half.
0: Congratulations.
2: Thank you. He's so full of life. Um, you know, he's taught me a lot, um, being, having Lyme disease, um, you know, and being a mom has really taught me a lot. And so I'm really excited to, to kind of share that part of my life and, um, you know, being a mom trying to fight, you know, illness and conquering it and working past all these hard things.
0: So talk to us about where you grew up. What was your childhood like?
2: My childhood, my parents were very young. Um, My parents are still young. I have a 30-year-old sister and my parents are under 50. So they had my sister. My mom was 16 and she had me when she was 20. And, you know, I grew up really active. We were a very active family. We loved camping. I, I grew up going to Yosemite every year. I grew up at the beach, and um, my parents didn't have a lot of money, so they really utilized the beach and camping and these activities to make our life fun. Um, but I also did have a lot of a lot of trauma growing up. Um, my parents fought a lot, as you know, they were dealing with two young children and they were young themselves and growing up. So I dealt with a lot of fighting and anxiety and anger. And a lot of these things that I saw growing up were were really hard um, growing up as a young girl. Now I can share this and I have an amazing relationship with my family. So I'm sure they don't mind sharing, you know, some of these, these harder things, but overall, you know, I had a good, good childhood. Um, and they taught me a lot of, to have perseverance and, you know, work, work through some hard things. Cause my, my parents definitely, um, being such young parents and being married so young, um, set a really good example.
0: So talk to us about, um, what your educational experience was like, where did you go to school and what types of courses were you taking during your Youth. Uh, And specifically, I'd like you to focus on any health courses or science courses that you had taken.
2: I have always been drawn to health. I would say my mom growing up, we weren't allowed to eat cereal (laughs) because she thought it was bad. And she was was right. Yep. She was right. I was, we weren't allowed to have soda and junk food and not having a lot of money um, a lot of our diet you know consisted of vegetables beans rice um you know some kind of protein and my mom was an amazing cook so I have always been drawn to food I'm a big foodie and a cook myself and it was awesome because she was such an example in that in you know making these delicious foods that a lot of my friends I would say didn't grow up with Um, my parent, my mom was very adamant about having dinner every night together as a family. So every night we had dinner together and food was, you know, a big communal thing for us. Um, and so while I was in school, um, school was always really hard for me. I excelled, but, um, it was a lot. I, I, I feel like as I was growing up, um, You know, they see this young blonde girl (laughs) and I was a toe head when I was younger and I've always kind of felt like my whole entire life because of how I look, I have been treated differently and people always thought I had this amazing life and such an easy life and I didn't deal with anything. And yet I grew up with a lot of trauma. And so in school, people you know, could be really mean to me. And so I really drew on um, certain subjects. I loved history. I loved art. Art was definitely a form of, um, you know, letting myself go. and even though I wasn't very good at it, I just really enjoyed it. And um, so art was obviously a big one. Sports were always really big. I loved loved playing sports. I was always the girl that was, playing football with all the guys. Cause I just loved like that competitive aspect. Um, but as I got older, math was really hard for me. Math and science were always really, really difficult. Um, and by the age of 12 or 13, um, I had been to, Oh, let's see here. Maybe 10 different schools by the, by or eight, what is that? If I was in sixth grade, yeah, I think I want to say like eight to 10 different schools. We moved a lot as a family. Um, Like I said, my parents struggled financially a lot. So um, I think the longest I was in a school, one school was three years. And other than that, every year was new teachers, new friends. And as I got older, I just started to struggle more and more with, um, staying grounded and just sitting in a class all day, I really wanted to explore. And my biggest thing was, I just felt like there was more to do than just sitting at a desk. I, I wanted to work. I wanted to be in the real world. And so as I got older, I actually went on homeschool and it really allowed me creatively to kind of focus on what I was good at. And I was allowed to take like home ed classes, cooking classes. I surfed a lot. I was at the beach almost every single day. And I really just kind of grew this passion of what I wanted to do when I was older, which was I wanted. I knew I wanted to be somewhat in health, health, health um, industry. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of how
0: my schooling was. So you had this outdoorsy life. Your parents had taken you to the beach often had taken you to uh, um, different camping locations and you had this draw towards health um, mm-hmm. during any of the um, during any of the um, educational opportunities that you had either through your parents, through social activities or through school, did you learn anything about ticks and tick diseases?
2: Nothing. I had, Not even heard of Lyme disease till I was much older. I wasn't familiar with ticks at all. Um, How to protect yourself, what to look out for, signs and symptoms. It wasn't even on my radar.
0: So you didn't know anything about them. So you were not taking any steps when you were were camping or Mm -hmm. you were going to the beach or you were participating in any outdoor activities to determine whether or not you had um, any ticks.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: All right, so, talk to us about what your vision was for yourself. You started to hint that you had this draw towards the um, to the health community um, professionally. So, how was that presenting uh, to you during your childhood?
2: It started with when I was in high school. I started taking cooking classes. So, part of my cooking class in homeschool was making different recipes every week and having the family eat them. And during this time, I really just took an interest in this. And so my mom just, uh, really let me kind of go for it. I had some bad meals, but I would say a lot of them are really good. And I drew off kind of what my mom would do and things I felt was missing in her cooking. And I kind of just came up with my own, own way of cooking. And during this time, I thought, You know, I kind of started doing my own research as I was getting older. I was in high school and I started taking a kinesiology class in college. And when I took that kinesiology class, it really kind of just opened the door for me. And even though I decided not to further my education in that, it really just kind of got my wheels spinning on really what I was passionate about. And what I was passionate about was health and wellness, fitness being outdoors. And I knew that the emotional aspect was such a big deal, but at this time I was very young still. And I didn't come to realize how much of my childhood had affected me. And, but I knew, I knew in my core, even when I was younger that something wasn't quite right. And I always had like this deep longing for understanding those deeper feelings that I was going through.
0: So, Brett, talk to us about when the symptoms that you now know to be your Lyme disease symptoms first began to present.
2: I would say, if I'm being totally honest, I really feel like a lot of my childhood, I dealt with some symptoms. Um I would have a lot of energy and then I kind of crash. I always had a hard time waking up in the mornings. I had a lot of anxiety, depression, um, my mind constantly racing. Um, I just was having those symptoms. So as I got older, it progressively got worse. And when I had tried talking to my mom about it, she just said, you're just emotional. I think you're just, you know, a little depressed. And I just felt like what was happening inside me was just not normal. And it wasn't until I was 17 and I was going on, I graduated early and I was going on my, my graduation trip to Bali and I decided to get a three-in-one traveler's vaccine. And I hadn't done a ton of research, but I was going to be there for at least a month surfing and eating all the food and all that. So I, I got this three-in-one vaccine and right there was kind of my turning point. Um, well,
0: let's pause there for a second, Brett. What, what were the three vaccines that you had taken in this three-in-one vaccine?
2: I was trying to remember, and I should have looked it up before this, but I know one of them was typhoid fever possibly MMR and I can't remember what the third one was. I, I'd have to go back to my records and see.
0: So you, so you're, you're, you're feeling symptomatic for most of your life. you have a lot of these symptoms that you now know to be classic Lyme disease symptoms, but you don't know that, right? You're 17 years old. You're going to, you're going to take your senior trip and you take this vaccine and I'm assuming you crash. So talk to us about the crash.
2: I crash. I got the vaccine and obviously I hadn't had childhood vaccines for a very long time because I had at this point been in homeschool and charter schools and kind of moved around and I hadn't had them since I was a lot younger. And I like to call it, it's kind of a perfect storm. I was dealing with increased um, stress as I was naturally getting older, starting to think about jobs, starting to think about my life. And I go, I get this, this vaccine. And immediately I my arm swells up, just swells up. It's super tender. And it's like that for an entire week. And I thought, man, this is kind of weird. The the lady had told me, oh yeah, you might be a little sore for the rest of the day. And I was sore for at least a week. And I go to Bali and as I'm there, I'm just getting increasingly exhausted. I'm tired. I'm having ringing in my ears. I can't sleep. All of a sudden I develop severe insomnia. Um, And then of course, insomnia adds stress because then you're wondering why you're not sleeping. And I started drinking coffee because I'm like, wow, I can't even function. I am so exhausted. And here I am with my sister and her husband and I'm on this amazing trip. And I was just so tired. I remember just laying there at night and feeling like something is wrong with me. I just feel like something is wrong with me.
0: So talk to us about how things developed and, uh, and when you first started seeing doctors for these symptoms that you had been suffering for most of your life, but are now um, really troubling after your vaccination.
2: So I get this vaccination, I go to Bali, I come home. And ever since I had gotten that vaccination, everything started to spiral. It started with ringing in the ears, the pain in the arm. Then it moved to insomnia, fatigue, and the list just goes on. I started having back problems. I had never, never had back problems, any kind of back problems in my entire life. My sister had dealt with some back problems and, you know, she'd always kind of be like, oh, my back hurts. She'd go get adjusted and she was fine. And so I just started these pains in my body kind of were coming out of nowhere. But again, it was just, it was almost like ever so, so slight. It wasn't all of a sudden I couldn't function. It was just over time, these weird symptoms started to occur.
0: And they were migrating.
2: And they were migrating. They started to migrate and it started to become where it was, you know, a couple of times a week to it was like, every day I was noticing these symptoms getting worse. And it wasn't until I was getting ready to be in one of my best friend at the time's wedding. And I'm 17, one of my best friends is getting married and I was dating my soon to be, you know, husband at this time we were dating. And it was really stressful. And I was just helping with her with a lot of things. And I remember walking down at her wedding and I had this crazy fever. I was extremely inflamed, extremely inflamed. I felt very sick. And I just thought I have this flu. I don't know what's going on. And the very next day I flew to Hawaii with my husband and his family, which was a first trip for us as a dating couple. Well, the same day that we land, he proposes to me. And I'm, I'm 17. He had asked for my parents' permission. And he proposes. And I was so happy and ecstatic. And immediately the next day, I go to put my bathing suit on. And I can barely lift my arms. And I'm thinking, man, this is such a weird virus. I still have this flu that's going on. My throat Felt like there was razors in it. I ended up having to go to the hospital on that trip. I thought I had struck throat. They swabbed me. Nope, you're fine. You must just have a virus. I was hiking and I was an avid exercise. I I exercised all the time. I was very active. I have hiked half dome. I used to run 45 miles a day. And I'm walking up this slanted hill and I'm out of breath. I'm just I'm thinking in my head, this is so strange. I don't have a stuffy nose, but I feel like I have the flu. And one of these dinners I'm supposed to go to with my, my new in-laws, I, I couldn't go. I, I couldn't get out of bed. And I remember calling my mom and I was in tears and I'm sitting in the bathtub all by myself, none of my family around. And I'm calling and I'm just bawling because I said, I, something's wrong with me. I, I can't move. And she's like, you know, I think you just have a bad virus. It's just settling in your muscles. Just to try to enjoy your trip and we'll figure it out when we get home.
0: I right, come let me, home. Let me yeah. ask you to pause there for a second because I'm trying to deconstruct this in, in my mind. So I'm getting the sense that you thought that you perhaps had Lyme disease before this trip to Hawaii or not. Do, do you think you 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 did have Lyme before you went to Hawaii or is it? That- at the trip where you believe that you were infected with Lyme or reinfected with Lyme?
2: I either was reinfected or had already had it. But in my heart, I I truly believe I got Lyme earlier in life. And I think because my stresses were a lot less, it was more dormant. And it wasn't until I started to process my own traumas from growing up. And I was getting married at a very young age and I was working. And then I go and get this vaccine. And I think that was kind of the cherry on top. And I think what really just exploded it was stress.
0: So, Brad, it seems like you had a number of immune disrupting events. And each time you had an immune disrupting event, you had now um, a, a, either a relapse or um, you had some kind of a medical event. So the first immune disrupting event, of course, was that you, you received the vaccination, the 3 mm-hmm. one vaccination. And we've had many folks uh, that we've interviewed in the past that have gotten sick after a vaccination. But after the vaccination, you then, you then engage in some air travel. And air travel is also immune disrupting. Uh, you got through that. You seem to be okay. Now, between the trip that you took for your graduation and the trip that you're now taking with your then-fiancé's family um did you see any doctors
2: i hadn't not yet i was really just managing with diet and exercise cuz again i wasn't i was aware something was going on but it would kind of come and go and it wasn't bad enough at this point for me to trigger that something's seriously wrong
0: so so you were very healthy right you were eating mm-hmm. well you were exercising you were you were just very healthy and your body is managing this challenge and now you have another immune disrupting event. You take a mm-hmm. trip to Hawaii with your fiance's family. You didn't even know he was going to be your fiance. <laughs> he asks you to marry him. And now you have another crash.
2: Have another crash.
0: You go to see a doctor while you're on the one of the islands in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, and you're told there's nothing wrong with you. And you're just sort of managing this. And so how does it progress? I mean, does it... Does it get worse while you're on the trip? or It gets
2: gets worse. My symptoms just kind of gradually started getting worse. I started getting a head cold, fatigue, body aches. And I ended up flying home after the trip a couple days later. And it went from this fatigue to extremely debilitating. I went to work and I had to call my grandma and my mom to come pick me up because I could not walk. I physically could not lift my legs. It just sat into me and like this crazy thing took over my body. And where I was working at the time, it was a spa. And in the same little district community, there was a kinesiologist and who was a chiropractor kinesiologist and I kind of started doing a little bit of research and I thought, you know, maybe, my, maybe my back's just out or maybe something's off. So my grandma and my mom come over, they're holding my shoulders. I'm, I'm walking over and he does some little tests on me and he goes, oh yes, you're very inflamed. There's something going on. I want to see you three times a week. I want you to start coming in. Let's get you adjusted. So I got my first adjustment He goes, you know, come back next week. Okay. Well, within those couple of days, my pain went from different body parts and the not being able to move. So it was in my legs and then it traveled up to my arms and I went to go tie my bathing suit to get in the jacuzzi and I physically could not tie my bathing suit.
0: So um, let, Brett, let's pause there for a second. So you talked about migrating pains in the early part of your journey mm-hmm. after you, um, after your, or I guess during the high school trip, now you're having migrating pains again, right? How are, yes. how are the migrating pains differently and how are you emotionally responding to having all of these different pains at different times in different places?
2: When my first started pains kind of started, they were a lot, they weren't as severe It would, I'd kind of feel some pain in my back and then kind of come and go. And with this, this, after this trip, it was very significant. It was so painful. It was as if my bones and muscles were completely locked, which I had not experienced before. Um, it was very scary. I, Was so young, and I knew something was seriously wrong because I had never experienced something this severe in my life.
0: So now I understand from our conversation earlier that you weren't diagnosed with Lyme disease until you were 20 years old. So give us the development of your symptoms between this period in, in your life when you're 17 to when you ultimately get your diagnosis at 20 and how your symptoms were getting worse and worse.
2: Over that period, my symptoms got more and more severe. So after the not being able to put my clothes on, tying my bathing suit, putting shoes on, after about three weeks of that, I had to take a medical leave at work for a month. I finally got in to see this blood specialist. He was a doctor and we did lots of blood work. Lots and lots of blood work. He realized I was having some thyroid issues. I had, I was on, he almost had Graves disease. I was borderline Graves disease. I was losing muscle mass because I was so ill. I couldn't move. And it was very hard to exercise at this point. I was exhausted. So over this course of time to when I was 20, all these symptoms kept getting worse. But this doctor that I was seeing, even though he was, did some really in in depth testing more so than most of the doctors I've actually still seen till this day, he never tested me for Lyme. And I had never even, again, not even crossed my mind. I did not, was not aware what, what Lyme disease was. And it wasn't until one of the first times I had heard of it was from My now one of my best friends, she's older than I am, but it's actually my husband's cousin and she has Lyme disease. And I had been dealing with these issues and trying to get answers. And I had seen her at a family gathering and she goes, You know, she starts telling me about some of these symptoms that she's always had. And she goes, Oh, yeah, I have Lyme disease. She's like, Have you ever considered that you have Lyme disease? I go, What? No, I mean, I wasn't bit by a tick. I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. But from that point on, she kind of put this little bug in my head. And- so let's
0: Brent, let's pause that for a second. Now, when you when you're having this conversation with your your good friend, your your husband's cousin, and she's telling you she has Lyme disease and she's describing her symptoms, did you see any similarity in the symptoms that you were dealing with? And if you yes. did, why were you so troubled about the possibility of having Lyme disease?
2: Yes, I did. I go, wow. All, so many of these symptoms were so similar, but something in me was scared. I was scared because I had heard of my husband's family talking about one of my, you know, this, my best friend's now illness and how she had dealt with so much and her entire life. And I didn't want to go to that place. I thought maybe I was just dealing with something autoimmune, possibly. I thought maybe it was induced from, you know, some childhood trauma or emotions I hadn't dealt with. And it wasn't until I think from that conversation, I think I was about 18, 19. And it wasn't until like a year and a half, two years later that I was actually diagnosed with Lyme.
0: Okay. So let's pause there for another second. So, you have you have somebody who has Lyme disease diagnosing you with Lyme disease because she mm-hmm. sees the identity of your symptoms you agree that there's an identity of symptoms but there's some part of you that's afraid to get that diagnosis and would prefer even to have an autoimmune disease diagnosed yeah. rather than Lyme disease did you during that window of time between when you had this conversation and you finally get your diagnosis did you see any doctors and did, did you ask any doctors to test your Lyme disease?
2: No. And I didn't because when I had talked to her, she had told me I had gotten many, many negative blood tests. And at this point, I had spent so much with this other doctor that I was seeing that I thought, I'm not going to do this test. I, What if it comes back negative and then it's inconclusive? So it was scary to me in the fact that I didn't want to be wrongly diagnosed, whether I had it or didn't have it.
0: Or, Brett, did you did you not want to be diagnosed And your mind allowed you to hold on to something like, hey, these tests don't work. You know, they they don't give a, a diagnosis or, hey, I spent a lot of money. I mean, was your mind taking to a place where you really wanted to be? And that was to have something other than the Lyme disease diagnosis.
2: Yeah. I was hoping I didn't have Lyme because from what I had heard from her experience, I did not want to deal with that. And I was definitely in denial.
0: So talk to us about what that next year and a half was like. I mean, you're, you're, you're getting increasingly sick. These symptoms are developing. You have this um, you know, potential diagnosis in the back of your mind. I mean, what are you doing for the next year and a half as you're getting sick? And how are you dealing with your Lyme denial?
2: Increasingly getting worse and worse. And in this time, my marriage was getting harder and harder because both my husband and I were trying to figure out what is going on. I was on paper doing everything right. I was eating extremely healthy. I was trying to move as best I could, go on walks, Um, I ended up working less. I was already working part-time. I went down in another day of work and I finally one day sat on my couch and I was bawling to my husband. And I just said, something is seriously wrong with me. I went from being, having these issues and these aches and pains and weird things and this insomnia, but I could still function to where I could not function. I could not physically clean my house anymore. And I was so young. I just knew something is not right. Just something is I'm, I'm like very seriously sick.
0: Okay. So let's pause there again. So you're, you're a year and a half into living this life, where you're re- you're getting increasingly sick, and you go from being this uber-fit young woman who is living a healthy life and intuitively making changes in her life so that she can manage this disease, and then you really crash. You can't even clean your house. You can't work. You're just crashing. Does the Lyme disease, well, the potential of Lyme disease, finally come to the front of your? Brain, are you finally able to deny your, or stop the mind denial of Lyme disease and now ask a doctor for a Lyme disease test?
2: Yes, but still, I was so terrified of going to another MD and that test being negative. And so this is kind of the turning point when my husband's family knew this doctor from Germany. They're really good friends with him. And he was, what I know now is at the time, he was a Lyme specialist in Germany and his family was telling me about this machine. They go, you know, he has this biofeedback machine. It's this very special machine. It scans your whole body. It tells you what's going on and it's extremely accurate. And they're begging me to come up to their house and he's going to be in town. Just let him, let him do the scan on you. I go, okay, fine. At this point, I'm so sick that I felt like I couldn't go on any longer. I just was so sick. I was so tired. And I go, what, what bad can, can come out of it? So I meet with this doctor in their house and I, I go upstairs and I'm in this room And he doesn't ask me any questions. He tells me, he goes, I don't, I don't want to hear any of your symptoms. Let's, let's see what, what the scan says. He goes, don't, you can't talk for 20 minutes. And I go, okay, I'm sitting there waiting you know, it's downloading. I'm holding this little gadget in my hand and he comes back in and he goes, and he starts going over my results. Do you have any issues in your right knee? I go, Yeah, I, I always have. I've I, I always have had these issues ever since I started running. Okay. He goes, What's going on with your digestion? Do you do you have this pain? How does this feel? And I go, Yeah, I've I've had that. I've had that for quite some time. And he he reads me a couple more symptoms that were very specific. And he goes, well, I know why you're so sick. He goes, you have chronic Lyme disease. And I go, what? He goes, your scan is just, everything is popping up that you have Rocky mountain spotted fever, Lyme disease, co-infections. He's like, you you're at like stage four. He's like, you are extremely sick. And I just start bawling because In my heart, I felt at this time that that's what it possibly could be. And so when I had him tell me that, I just knew it intuitively. I knew it. I knew it was spot on. I had never had any kind of scan or test that had could just, he could see really what was going on inside my body. And that's, that's how I came to get my, my first Lyme diagnosis.
1: So Brett, we've had other people talk to us about this biofeedback testing and they've said the same thing you've said. And it hasn't been a lot of people, but they said that it was spot on that these practitioners are able to tell them the exact symptoms they're experiencing and then tell them you have chronic Lyme disease. So I guess the first question I have for you is what was this test like? You mentioned you were holding on to something. So for you, what was it like for the 20 minutes while the scan was happening? And was there any discomfort? Was it something that is intimidating? You know, walk us through the, the process of the test.
2: No. So he has you hold this little thing. I believe it's like a little stick and then he sticks these little electrodes on you. It's like these little wires. And I think he did like a couple little patches and you just aren't supposed to talk during the test, quiet and just breathing as normal. No pain, no pain whatsoever. It's just very simple, very, very simple.
1: So once you had this Lyme diagnosis, did you want to follow up with blood work or did you jump right into treatment at this this point?
2: I didn't because at this point I was starting to talk to him and he goes, this is, I see patients like you all the time. He goes, they've gone to so many different practitioners, kinesiologists, they've seen MD doctors, they've seen specialists and even ones who get a Lyme test, your chances of it coming back negative are so high. And he's, he goes to tell me that this is what you have. And I said, I believe it. I, as I started doing more and more research, I was so spot on that. I didn't feel like at this point I wanted to go and test because I didn't want for myself to be more confused. The hardest thing about that was now trying to convince my family that I have Lyme disease, which was really difficult in many years.
1: And Brett, I think that's a layer in itself that you had to mm-hmm. convince your family you had an illness. And you don't see that with a lot of other diseases. So no. when, when you went back, walk us through what that was like going back and telling your family that I had this biofeedback testing, I have chronic Lyme disease. You know, what was that exchange like with you and your family at that point?
2: They just thought I had mental issues. They thought I was just dealing with depression. They thought, oh, I had anxiety. I was kind of made to out to be the crazy one. I've always been more emotional. And I'm I, I like to talk. I like to share what I'm going through. And I really think they just I know they did not take me seriously. And I know now at this day, in this day, they just were not educated. And they weren't educated on just how severe I really was sick because my family was seeing me, but I was married and I was at home all the time. And of course, when I go to see my family, I can put on a happy face and, you know, I can try to be myself as much as possible, but they didn't see, nobody saw what was going on, going on behind closed doors.
1: So, Brett, now you are married and your husband sees what's going on behind closed doors. How did he react to your chronic Lyme diagnosis from the biofeedback testing?
2: He thought it was wild. He goes, This is crazy, but he thought it was great that I got a diagnosis and I was getting answers. He was so happy that I, you know, finally decided to do this test. And having someone in his family had already having Lyme, even though he wasn't familiar with it, he thought, great, she can connect with my cousin and, you know, they can kind of work things out. Um, the thing with my doctor, that doctor at the time, he still didn't take me seriously, even though he diagnosed me, he goes, okay, you know, well, what I would recommend depending on how severe you are, he goes, I would do stem cells. I would do stem cell therapy. But I would try thymus therapy first because I would try to do thymus therapy, thymus injections weekly and do those for, you know, 11 to 12 weeks and then kind of see where you're at. So I talked it over with my husband and to get stem cell therapy was $25,000. So at the time my husband goes, well, we're not going to do that now, but why don't, now that we have the diagnosis, why don't we start with what he's recommending and then let's see where you go from there. So I go, okay, you know, I wanna process this first before I jump into anything. So um, in my brilliant young age, I decided, you know, I'm already sick. Why oh. don't I, before I start a um, therapy, why don't I just get implants? Why don't I get breast implants? Let's just throw those into the mix always wanted to have breast implants and I'm just gonna go for it. So from the diagnosis which happened in January of 2015, I got the implants put in. Come here my doggie. <laughs>
1: no worries.
2: Um, a month and a half later, I had already had this appointment. so I had had this appointment before I had gotten this Lyme diagnosis. Then I go, well, I'm already sick. And I hadn't heard anything at this point of implants making you sick. And I go, well, they're not going to make me worse. And at least they could help me be happy for the time being until I figure out what I'm going to do with treatment. So I get my implants in and immediately within putting them in, I knew something was wrong. I just knew it. And again, at this time in 2015, breast implant illness was not even really a big thing, or at least I wasn't aware and wasn't a part of groups and support groups and information. So I get this diagnosis in January in February, 2015, I get breast implants and I'm just getting just, I thought I was sick and I just get worse and worse and worse. And finally I go, okay, let's, let's do the thymus therapy. I did the thymus therapy, nothing changes, nothing. I feel no difference.
1: Right. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Do you mind explaining what is thymus therapy for our listeners?
2: You know, I'm not even a hundred percent certain what it is myself. So it helps stimulate your thymus gland. And so it's these injections that help build your immune system to better handle Lyme is what I was told. Um, to this day, I really don't even know what I was taking to be totally honest. Um, these shots came from Germany. <laughs> and I can't even tell you what really was in them. So I'm sure if so, I reached out to this doctor now, he could tell me, but I don't even know really from, I just, they were just called thymus shots.
1: So from what I understand, the thymus, thymus therapy is an immune modulating therapy, which helps your immune system get out of the autoimmune phase, where it's attacking healthy parts of your body and get reset to focus on attacking the real bad things is what I understand Mm -hmm. the therapy to be. But it sounds like because you were so sick and now you had the breast implant illness on top of that, which probably made your your immune system go completely haywire, it didn't help at all for you.
2: Didn't help at all. Whereas my husband's family who had done these immune modulating shots, they had all felt great after them. They go, oh, this is great. Any little tiny ailment they had was gone. it was fine. And me, I, I go, this doesn't, this isn't helping at all. And finally, I think it was April, March or April. And after doing the shots, after having implants, I just begged my husband. I said, I just, I really, really cannot go on. I have to, to get to Germany. I have to get to Germany to where this doctor is working. I have to do these stem cells. I'm willing to start a GoFundMe. I am willing to ask for help. I just have to get here. And we had called the doctor and he just said, you know, my wife has just progressively gotten worse. She's we thought she was bad in January. She's just really bad now. We we just cannot go on any longer. And he goes, I can get her in at the end of May. Why don't you guys fly out and we're going to get her in and we're going to get her stem cells. So I
1: interrupt real quick and ask you a question that the doctor that diagnosed you and this doctor that you're referring to who had a facility in Germany. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable sharing this doctor's name?
2: Sure. Um, <laughs> it was Dr. Phil at Infusio.
1: And is this Phil who is the founder of Infusio? Yes. Okay. So I, I just, I just want to point out that, you know, it, it, I don't believe in coincidences and the fact that you happen to get diagnosed because somebody recommended you get tested by the founder of Infusio, which is one of the most well-known Lyme clinics in the world is really powerful. I think that's really a big part of your story. So I just want to interrupt and point that out, so I'm sorry for interrupting. I, I defer back to that's you. That's
2: okay. That's okay. Because he really did change my life and giving me that diagnosis and really actually saved me, I would say, because... He was so spot on. So I infusio was where I was going, and at this point, I had been so sick for I was twenty. I'd been sick since I was seventeen, and this is when I really felt like my mindset was such a big deal because a lot of money was going into this, and I really wanted to work on mindset and whether this treatment was going to work or not. I wanted to change my mindset. If I were to have to deal with this disease for the rest of my life, I have to change my mindset. Something has to give. And getting to Germany alone was so difficult. I was so sick and my husband was flying with me. We get to the airport in New York. They look at his passport and they will not allow him to go to Germany because it was expiring in three months. So even though they had let us fly from LA, to New York, almost five hour flight. Nobody ever said anything. They go, I'm sorry. I don't think Germany will allow you in. So we're not going to allow you to fly. So here I am. I am deathly sick at this point. I have never traveled alone. I'm still young. And I have to take these flights to Germany in a country that's not super well in speaking English. It's not just like traveling to Mexico where it it seems a lot easier for us. Um, so we land, I have a driver pick me up. I don't know what he's saying. He takes me to this little apartment in, uh, near infusio and the doctor says, you know, that he had been emailing us at this point, telling us my schedule and we're going to start here. This is what we're going to do. You know, we'll have a driver pick you up every morning and, of course, the first week of treatment is the most difficult and I had nobody. I was all by myself in a foreign country. I didn't even hardly know Dr. Phil. I had only met him, you know, a couple times from visiting the States. Uh, my, my in-laws were very close with him. And so I'm just here and I, I was just trying to function and I was just so ill. Um, I can go, I could go back and I should have brought those out. I have from years and years ago, but we did IVs. So IV therapy, lots of, uh, Myers cocktail IVs. And I believe it was on day two or three of treatment. I had to take a car. I think it was like three to four hours from where infusio was to actually do the stem cells. So again, by myself, and there was one other patient in the car, this older gentleman. And we're in this car, this driver's driving us to this middle of little, little town. And they took 25 vials of my blood, 25 vials. I think that till this day, that's the most blood I've ever taken. I I do frequently about 20 vials several times a year, but 25, that was, that was a lot. And they were taking my blood. For my stem cells and so I go back and it was hard it was really hard I was detoxing and herxing extremely extremely bad that first year or first first year that that first week and finally my husband made it back because he got in and got his passport renewed and he was there the second week of treatment and finally the second week of treatment I even though I hadn't received my stem cells yet I kind of started to Turn a little bit of a corner and I started to get a little bit more energy. And I think my body was better handling these IVs better. And fast forward to the end of that second week, and I received my stem cells. And I believe they took around a, the count for the stem cells was like a million, a million stem cells. And then it multiplied. I'm pretty sure they put about six million back into me, five, five to six million stem cells back into me. So I, when I got it, I just prayed and prayed. And I was like, if this is not, you know, just please help me with my mindset. This is going to work. I felt like I really was manifesting it. And I came home and I started doing a lot better, a lot better.
1: Brett, so you were there for about, was it two weeks? How long were you there in total? Okay. So you're there for two weeks. And when you went to give blood and you donated the 25 or you gave the 25 vials of blood, did they extract stem cells from the blood? Is that what you were saying?
2: Yes. Yes. Yep. So they the- extract the stem cells from the blood. They spin it. I mean, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> like, I don't even really understand it. They somehow extracted to where it separates the blood and the stem cells, basically. So you're not like putting blood back into you, but you're just extracting the stem cells.
1: And leading up to that for the first week, you did a, it sounds like Myers cocktails, a lot of immune boosting uh, supplements and IVs and some, some probably detox things as well. I'd imagine while you were there.
2: Yes. Lots of like bone broths and soups and diet were incorporated in that as well. I did some laser therapy. Uh, I did Trying to think what else I did. Yeah. I think it was mainly IVs and like laser therapy.
1: And when you got the stem cells in the second week, was it was it one shot? Was it one infusion of the stem cells? One, how long did that last?
2: One shot, one infusion, and it was a big, thick, big, 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 gigantic vial of it. And I can't remember since it's been so long how how exactly they did that, but I want to say it through an IV or a port. Uh, they they put them put them into me.
1: And did you feel anything, Brett, that day you received the stem cells? And if not, did you feel anything when you returned home? I'm sorry, returned home shortly after.
2: I want to say I felt anything from that day other than relief. I just felt this journey had been so long that for the first time in a very long time I was hopeful. And I figured this is a very big journey. I've traveled a long way. This hat has to help me in some way. It has to, I, I just felt in my intuition that this is going to help me. And even if it's, you know, not for a long time, at least temporarily, it's going to give me relief is what I felt like it was going to do.
1: And at this point, was Infusio in Beverly Hills not open? I do know there's an Infusio clinic now in Beverly Hills. So is it just yes. not available it yet? Was it was not yet?
2: open yet.
1: So, Brett, talk to us more about when you got home. You still didn't really feel much better, but it was sort of relief that it was over and hope that it's going to help. You know, walk us through the next couple of weeks and months. Did it actually help you? And what was that like?
2: So I came home. And one of my things I had always wanted to try, cause I hadn't exercised in so long. I was doing lots of Pilates and yoga and those types of exercises. I really wanted to push myself and I wanted to sign up for CrossFit. And so that was one of my things and helping my mindset was, uh, committing to something that was just, I had been so engulfed with my disease and trying to find answers. And I felt like I, not this time, I still had so many unanswered questions, but I just wanted to focus on something other than Lyme. So I came home and I started to slowly feel better. I kind of started to wake up a little bit earlier. I started to get a little pep in my stack and I committed myself to this new workout. I got involved with a new, you know, new peers and slowly, but surely I started to get better. I started to get more energy. I my brain fog was getting a little bit better. My sleep was a little bit better. And slowly but surely I just started being able to handle and take on more things that I had in a very long time. And part of this of getting better was really throwing myself into health and wellness because as going back one of my biggest things was I wanted to get into health and wellness. And so when I came home, I just told my husband, I said, you know, I've always wanted to be a personal trainer. I want to get into health and helping others, maybe who are sick or stuck in mindset. And I just want to help others because I feel like if I can help others, it's going to make me feel better. And it did. And so I got my personal training license. And in this, I wanted to start competing in, in bodybuilding. And I was starting to be able to work out several days a week and I was playing pretty good. I wasn't feeling perfect or amazing, but I was feeling a lot better than I had in the past.
1: And Brett, this was in the fir- within the first few months of you coming home from, from Germany.
2: Yes. Yes. And my, just really, I would feel like it was because of like that heavy, heavy mindset of like, this is going to work is what really kind of. Push me
1: to but, but what were the expectations set by the doctors in Germany at infusio? Did they tell you that it was going to take six months, a year, several months? You know, what, what did you walk away thinking based on the treatment you received?
2: He told me within six months, I should have like, I believe it was like 80% of my symptoms diminish. And within like a year I should be at like 90% of my symptoms diminished. And one question I had asked him was, Is this going to get rid of my life? Am I not going to deal with this anymore? And he said, No. And I go, I was thinking in my head, hmm. Okay, so I'm spending all this money, I'm doing this. And even if it works, but I, I, in the back of my head, I just kept thinking, Okay, so it's not killing the line because that's what I asked. I said, so is it actually killing because as my, not my knowledge is it's a bacteria, obviously, and just common sense. I thought, okay, well, I have to kill the bacteria. So if I'm not killing the bacteria, I thought, so it's just going to go dormant. And that's kind of how he explained it. Yeah, it's your immune system. He goes by doing the stem cells we are better making your immune system to better deal with the Lyme. So hopefully your symptoms diminish to down to 90% and you don't really have to deal with this ever again. And I said, well, what about stress is like, what if, you know, stressful? I mean, life is stressful. There's always a death. There's always something stressful that that's happening, a job change or a family member or a change in life. And he goes, well, you know, if you ever need to come back, then you know where to find me. And, but you should be good. You, you should be good to go. And you shouldn't need to do this ever again. You, you shouldn't have any issues. And I go, okay, well, again, with this mindset, I think, okay, well, this is going to work. This is going to, it's going to change my life. And it did, It, it actually did temporarily. It really did change my life. It, I came home, I started getting better and better energy wise, I was dealing with stress a lot better. I was having difficult conversations. I was being able to, you know, function more as a normal, as you could say, normal, uh, human being. And in this, I just wanted so badly to be separated from my line. And this is when I started to compete, um, competitively in bodybuilding And if you're familiar with bodybuilding at all, you know, it's extremely stressful in the body. You're extremely limited in what you can eat. You're calorie restricted. Your body is put under an extreme amount of stress. But at this point, I felt like I needed something to really challenge me. I I just wanted that like really hard mental grit and I wanted to put myself in something where I can I could put my head down and I could grind it out and and just focus on something other than Lyme. And that's exactly what bodybuilding did for me. And during that process I had built up my business and I was now working with clients and training them and helping hundreds of men and women and it was so satisfying. But it wasn't until after my first competition that some of my Lyme symptoms started coming back and those were the fatigue major stomach issues my depression was kind of coming back again and just starting to become really tired again and at this first competition I had won and made it to nationals and so with that I thought well I have to go to nationals I, I've placed first in this competition. And I, I felt like I had worked so hard for this and I'd been through so much that I wanted to do it again. And it was when I started to compete that second time that I knew something was off. I, I knew I was pushing my body too much. And I just, I just knew it. I knew that I shouldn't have done this. I, I should have not done this. And but my thinking at the time was, well, if I'm going to have line for the rest of my life, I want to do what I want to do. And I was. And so it's like, now that I look back on it, I'm still happy that I did it because it taught me so much. And it taught me to have consistency and to have grit and to be committed. And I ended up stopping competing because I knew I wanted to have children one day. And I didn't want it to mess with my hormones long-term, even though I was a 100% natural bodybuilder, but still just eating at such a calorie deficit. I knew it wasn't healthy. And I just was not feeling great. I was starting to not, I was trying to get my major digestion issues. My sleep was getting terrible again. My fatigue. I went from being able to work out two hours a day at the gym to struggling to make it there, you know, for three, four days a week for an hour at a time. So I had significantly decreased like my working out. And um, I, it just progressively from there just started getting worse again.
1: So Brett, talk to us about at this point, you went to Germany, you got better and now you're starting to get sick again. You mentioned early on that your, your family just didn't believe you and they thought you were just crazy. So Mm -hmm. at this point, did they actually believe that you had Lyme disease because you went and got treatment for Lyme and started to feel better, or were they still doubting that you were really sick?
2: They were still doubting this whole time. They, they didn't do any research. They, you know, from the little bit of research they did, of course, because normal MDs, they, they will diagnose you with like a psychiatric diagnosis. So from the little bit they had done, they just, they knew nothing even though I had gone and done this lengthy treatment and, we're I feeling better. and I was feeling better. They could see the difference. They just thought, Oh, well, you know, she's just on to the next thing. She's, you know, it's, she's committed to the next thing. And I just constantly was in this, this push and pull with trying to help people understand. And I knew even when I was competing and was so-called at my best, I wasn't, I was still sick. I just was so much better from where I was that I really emphasized the good part of what I was dealing with.
1: So, Let me ask you a question about this. So for people that are listening, that are struggling to get their family to believe that they're sick, whether they don't have a diagnosis yet or they do, and people just don't want to believe it because it's such a controversial disease. What advice would you give them based on what you've learned with your family to help them shortcut their family's belief of their illness?
2: Uh, a good thing is to watch the documentary under, under our skin, or under my skin. I, I think it's that one. Educate them on the symptoms. So educate them on what falls under having Lyme. It doesn't take having a positive blood test to mean that you have Lyme. And that's the biggest thing is education is trying to educate them. And second, believing in yourself, because I dealt with for a very long time through friends and family that I was labeled the crazy one. I still have people who label me that I'm crazy because I have gone through an incredibly hard journey. And it's taking, finding someone Who does believe you and who will talk to you, and getting your circle and building your self esteem from there and sharing your journey. So it's sharing your journey, whether it's just with your spouse or your best friend or your mate and your friend, and just having those like open conversations because community is very important um, because this is obviously, as we all know, a very lonely disease.
1: So, Brett, talk to us more about now what happened after you started to feel unwell again after overdoing it and physically exerting yourself too much. And now you start your symptoms are starting to pop back up. Did you go back to infusio? Did you get more stem cells? What happened next?
2: I didn't. So I just thought, you know, I'm gonna stop competing. Let's try and reduce the stress from the gym and the external stressors that were not necessary. So I thought, let's increase my calories. Let's decrease the gym. Let's work on some of these, you know, issues and see if things resolve. And some of it did. I started to get a little bit energy, a little bit. And, um, but I could still tell something was off. And so it wasn't until the following, I think this was, I stopped competing in June, June. And I forget which year, 2016, I think it was June. I had, yeah, June of 2016, I believe, 2017. And it wasn't until January that I just told my husband again. I said something's wrong. I feel like something's off. I'm not as sick as I was before I got stem cells. So that's this is a good sign. But something's off, and I need a little. I don't know if I need another round of stem cells. And this is at the point where Infusio had opened up Beverly Hills. So I had gone up there and seen Doctor Phil again and gotten a couple IVs again. I think it was just. Myers cocktail that I could have mm-hmm. gotten pretty much anywhere here in orange County, uh, like an IV place. And I did some laser therapy and red infrared, infrared therapy, actually specifically. And he goes, yeah, we, you can do stem cells again, but you know, it's, it's going to be expensive. And he goes, why don't we just do MAD therapy on you? And I wasn't super familiar with that. And, um, I I go, okay, I'm like, I don't even know what, you know, NAD therapy is, what does it do? And so I go, I go back up to Infusio for four days. I I go through this four-day therapy. I do the, um, what is that called? With the ox, the ox, ozone, ozone therapy. Yeah, so I had done ozone therapy several times when I was up there. With the blood. And, you know, I had remembered when I was in Germany, they did ozone therapy as well. That was actually one of the treatments, just remembered that I felt oh, good. It, it, the it, ozone. Did
1: ozone help you? Is that an immediate thing where you felt better? It wasn't an immediate after?
2: thing. It was an immediate thing. And it wasn't um, night and day. It just gave me a little bit of energy, I would say, and a clearer mind. So, went back to Infusio, fast forward. Okay, I do my four days. And I didn't really notice a big difference. I just still felt like something was off. And And this
1: was NAD, the four days of NAD NAD. therapy. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yep. NAD, if I'm remembering correctly, (laughs) pretty sure it's NAD therapy.
1: And Brett, what is NAD? I think a lot of our listeners probably don't know what that is.
2: So from my understanding is it kind of helps like all of your cells. And again, this was, I was naive still at this point where I was educated but I didn't even do a lot of research on it. And same thing. I mean, I could even look it up because I'm not I even think,
1: I think you're spot on, Brett. I'm pretty sure, you know, from what we've learned on the podcast, NAD is, is really used to help stimulate cell regeneration. Cell it regeneration, also helps that's with, the word. With, yep, and it really helps, I think, with cognitive processing as well, with brain fog. Those, I think yes. those are two St- of the biggest things it helps with.
2: That's exactly what it is. Thank you. I still have, as you can tell, lime yeah. brain. <laughs> I'm right there with you, don't worry. And keeping track of all of these things, I'm, it's like, I can't even remember some of these things that I do because half the time they don't work.
1: (laughs) And it sounds like NAD didn't work for you, right? You did one for four days and didn't feel any better.
2: Nothing. I felt nothing. If anything, I felt worse to me. Like, I felt worse. And so I go, okay, well, I just stayed in a crappy hotel in the middle of West Hollywood. I feel worse like this is a joke. And so I was hesitant. I was you know, I thought okay, well, should I do another round of of stem cell therapy? Should I what should I do? And at this point Infusio was doing the stem cells from fat. So they were taking like fat and taking the stem cells from fat cells or something something like that. And from what I had been reading on the Infusio page the results weren't great. And the results seem to be a lot better from the blood, from when the blood was extracted and not from like the fat. So, can I I talk, just, again,
1: I, I apologize yeah. to interrupt you, but there's so much good information here. I just want to make yeah. sure we point out. So, from what I understand, Infusio in Germany does the stem cells that come from your blood, but yes. in, in Beverly Hills in California, they were from fat stem cells. Is that your understanding yes. as well? Yes. Okay.
2: Because of the regulations. As, yes. This is as of a couple of years ago, again, I don't even, I believe Infusio is open in Beverly Hills, but I don't even know. I don't even think they do stem cells there anymore. I, 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 I pretty sure they shut that portion down. I could be wrong. And I'm not even sure if you would probably know better than me. I don't even know if Enfusio is open in Germany anymore. I, from the last I had heard, um, there was some movement going on with that. And that was like a year and a half ago. So, um, but Infusion Beverly Hills, their way because of regulations here in the United States and California was from fat and then the stem cells in Germany was blood. And from the fat, from their group, from personal testimonials of people I had personally reached out to, they didn't see a big difference. They, They, none of them had seen that like big difference I had felt with the blood stem cells. And to me, that was a red flag because I already felt like the stem cells had only worked for a couple of years. And then I slowly was reverting back. So that to me was a red flag. I just didn't want to spend any more money if I wasn't hundred percent positive. And I still knew that stem cells do not kill the Lyme bacteria. And as I was starting to research more and more, I knew I had to find something that killed the Lyme bacteria. Because if you're not going to be killing the pathogen. Stressful events, like I've said, are always going to come up. Whether you are competing, whether you're getting married, whether there's a death, there's always going to be these stressful events. And I thought, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life and I'm going to I know I know I'm going to have these stressful events. I can't be spending all this money every couple of years to do stem cells. It just was not practical. So. At this point is actually when I had found somebody. Um, or they actually found me, somebody on Instagram who had followed me on my on my page and had saw me posting about what I had done in the past and you know, current things I was doing to try to manage my lime, reached out to me and she goes, Have you ever heard of bee venom? And I go, No, what does that even mean? And she goes, Oh, I, I sting myself with live bees. And there's a whole Facebook group on it and you can get information there. And she goes, you know, I I've been feeling so much better these last several years. You should look into it. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. That's so random and so interesting to me. So I had joined one of these groups. Can't remember the name of it. Cause there's a couple of them now. And I had joined, I kind of was looking through people's testimonials and There was some good, there was some bad, and I just kind of kept it in the back of my head as I was continually thinking of, Kate, because I knew the next step that I wanted to take. At this point, I had dealt with Lyme for (laughs) so long. I felt like I had tried so many different therapies. I had gone up and down. I'd gotten better. I had gotten worse. I kind of was evening out. I knew that whatever I invested in, the next thing, like I really wanted to think about it. I wanted to research it. I wanted to ask all the questions and really figure out, okay, how exactly is this treating my line? How is this getting at this pathogen? So during this, I wanted to get pregnant and to become a mother. And me and my husband had discussed, okay, well, if we're going to have kids, you know, obviously one of the big discussions was, Well, what about Lyme? Because we knew that Lyme could be passed to your child. And my response was, I knew I could not live without children and that I wanted to have children. And that at least if my child were to have Lyme disease that you know, I would know the proper steps to take and in in the hopes of, you know, hoping he didn't have it, but if he did, I could get him, you know, testing and get him into a lot more advanced facility than I had ever, ever been to. So I, again, just thinking all this is in the back of my head. So I decided to get pregnant and I got pregnant very quickly and I had a very healthy pregnancy and I felt pretty good. I had, aches and pains. And, you know, but again, I was carrying a child and this is really the turning point as, as this journey has kind of gone up and down, up and down. And I was a lot more versed with Lyme during my pregnancy. I really started to research venom therapy and I had decided that is what I'm going to do after I have my child. I thought I feel like this to me from the some of the studies I had read from testimonials, I really felt like it resonated with me more than any other treatment I had ever ever done. It made the most sense to me, and I just loved the one study that took bee venom and they put it like in a petri dish against the Lyme disease, and then they did, you know, it with the antibiotics as well. And the antibiotics, there was still some Lyme left, and with bee venom, it completely eradicated it. So I go, okay. Cause we know at this point, I never wanted to go the antibiotic route because of the horrible side effects that I personally didn't want to deal with that. I had talked to people who had gone through that and I go, okay, this makes sense. If, if they're taking this ancient modality I love that it's holistic. That really resonated with me. But it was holistic, but it was also very strong, which is why warning you do not want to just go sting yourself with a bee. It's it's not that simple. So as I was pregnant, you know, I'm kind of researching this and and it wasn't until I was in labor, I had a natural birth, I birthed my son at a at a birthing center that I had been in labor for almost 20 hours and I was begging, I was begging my husband, I'm so tired. I'm so dying. Give me the epidural, give me the epidural. And there's no epidural at birth centers. And I'm like, I want to transfer. I want to transfer. And I'm getting out this turning point of, I felt like I couldn't keep going. And they go, well, do you want nitrous oxide? They go to help take the edge off. And I am like, I didn't want to do nitrous oxide, but I was like, you know what? Yes. Just give it to me because I will do whatever at this point. I'm like to get this baby out. So I did, I, I was on nitrous oxide for a couple hours and I had never been on nitrous oxide and it kind of makes your head feel all big and fuzzy. And I hadn't had, had, ended up having knocks and it was beautiful, amazing, one of the most transforming days of my life. And I met my beautiful son. And when he was born i just felt off i i just obviously I had dealt with this transforming experience and i'm holding my baby and i go home and i'm on such a high such a high from all the oxytocin and for 3 days straight i didn't sleep i just was had these crazy rush of hormones and 3 weeks later I still had not slept. I just had not slept since he was born. And I started to really go into this psychosis. I just spiraled. I had been dealing, like I said, with some of these issues, Lyme issues, brain fog, insomnia, and it hit me like, a semi truck. And I was trying to speak to my family and my friends and everybody was just telling me, it's just newborn. It's so hard. It's, it's this. And I was like, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. I'm like, I feel like I'm not inside my body. I, am I could, I have the worst postpartum anxiety, debilitating, debilitating to where even when he would sleep, he slept, he's a newborn, he slept hours a day and I would go to close my eyes. I would be jolted because I, my system was so wound up and that I could not sleep. I I would think that he was crying. I had horrible anxiety. I just, you know, it was terrible, like terrible. And I just knew, I was like, I have to get on this treatment. I, I'm going to have to get treatment for Lyme or something. Something is going on. And as time went on, my son was dealing with health issues. At 10 weeks old, we were in the hospital and he had had a bladder, a kidney infection. It was a bladder turned kidney infection. And from that point on, I knew something was off with him because I was like, so, no, I don't know any child that. You know, they say, Oh, you know, bladder infections happen, but it's a lot more common in in girls. And with boys, I, I just, you know, they had de- we were in the hospital for three days, and they just kept telling me, Oh, you know, this must have just been a fluke thing. Yeah, his kidneys enlarged, but you know, I think this is just a fluke thing. I think he's gonna be okay. It's something my intuition has always brought me back, it has all has never led me straight. It never. Anytime I've had this deep gut feeling. I've always been pretty spot on. And so I just started researching and I I started talking and I ended up finding a a childhood friend that I had grown up with and her daughter had dealt with like chronic bladder infections. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to keep her in the back of my mind because if he ever gets one again, sure enough, at 11 months old, he got another bladder infection. And I take him to the doctor and they wanted to basically tell me that he had a bladder infection because he wasn't circumcised. And I'm like, you know, that just doesn't, that doesn't sound right to me. I'm like, how is his kidney, how is his kidney so inflamed? Like, this sounds like an internal issue rather than a foreskin issue. And so they put him on antibiotics again, and, you know, okay, we clear it. And at this time, I'm like, he's been on antibiotics multiple rounds and he's only 11 months old. I'm like, this is terrible. He had already dealt with skin issues and, you know, spitting up and sensitive, to, you know, different foods. And then again, bam, a month later gets another bladder infection. So three bladder infections within a year. And I go, something is not right. And so sure enough, I take him back to a pediatric, uh, urologist and they go, Oh yeah, well, you know, what we recommend is either, you know, circumcising him or putting this ointment on and doing this protocol. And I, I was not okay with that. And so I finally reached out to my friend and I go, okay, this doctor obviously isn't working. And, I ended up seeing a different pediatric urologist think, thank the heavens, because he was amazing. He immediately said, I have a very hard time believing that this is being caused by his foreskin. I believe that this is being caused from internal, something internally is going on. And during all of this, I'm still dealing with all of my Lyme. I, I am sicker than a dog. My child is now having some, is having these symptoms that I was thinking, is this lime Because is this lime settling in the kidneys? Is this lime settling in the bladder? What, something's off with us. And we do te- some, you know, some tests on him. And, um, I, one of the tests was like a mag three, which is a pretty gnarly test. They send like a radioactive fluid in their body and he has to lay there for I think like two hours and they they test at what point the kidneys are draining and, and all of that. And so after this test, it was actually, re- we got really good news that it his kidneys were draining fine. They were functioning right where they needed to be functioning, which was huge. And he just, his anatomy was off. His right side ureter um, had a hard time draining. And so if you think about the blot, here's the kidney, the ureter comes down and meets uh, the ureter comes down and meets the bladder and something with the connection right there, his right side just drained a little bit slower. And it's something that he, unfortunately would have just have to outgrow, but the doctor was pretty confident that he goes, you know, with children who deal with this, usually over the age of one is, is kind of the cutoff of like, it's the infection starts to slow down. So during this. Before we could get this MAG-3 test, which took three months to get into, he was on antibiotics every day for three months. Every day. Because my doctor and his doctor at the time was so scared of him getting another infection and we didn't know the functioning of the kidneys. So like kidneys work at 15, 50%. So he's like, if his right side kidney is only functioning At 20% and he gets another infection, he might lose his kidney. And so that was terrifying because obviously I don't want him to lose his kidney. We don't know what, what's really going on. Come to find out their function at 1550, it's just draining slower from the the ureter to the bladder. And so no surgery was needed, which was awesome because we were pretty positive before doing that test with his urologist that he was going to have to have surgery to correct it. He goes, you know, I think he's good. You can pull him off of the antibiotics and, uh, you know, go on your way and let's, let's keep in contact. Let's, you know, keep me up. Well, from that last bladder infection, when he was a year old, he hasn't had any. So, and he's had an ultrasound and he's outgrown his little issue and hasn't had any, any bladder kidney issues since. So where I'm getting with all of this is as I'm dealing with all of this, of course, Mom intuition. I've always felt like my son. I obviously I hope that my son isn't dealing with Lyme, but I have a feeling that he has dealt or is dealing with Lyme. So with all of this, I'm dealing with all of this, and my postpartum just getting really, really bad, really bad, very, very dark and deep postpartum depression. Um, I just knew something had to change, and this is when I. Took the steps and I was like, I am going to learn how to do B venom. I'm going to learn about my body. And I want to be tested for every autoimmune disease that you possibly can. Because I'm like, something is wrong. No doctor has properly diagnosed me uh, with autoimmune, even though I know I just knew I knew I was dealing with something autoimmune and nobody had diagnosed me. And even with all this, after all this research I had done, I still was terrified of going to a doctor and being rejected. And it wasn't until I took a course to learn how to do B-Venom and there was certain blood work that they recommended and that they do and come to find out where I'm going to piece this all together is one of my autoimmune is I have pernicious anemia where I cannot process b 12 I cannot process it through my gut. I basically have an antibody that blocks the absorption of B12. So the only way to get B12 in is through intramuscular injections. And there's three different types of B12. So it depends on your genes. So you have to, you know, get your genetic testing done to figure out, do you need a methylcobalamine? Do you need a hydroxycobalamine? Do you need the cy... I forget one. It's like a CY cyanocobalamin. Well from that point of having my son and from getting this other autoimmune diagnosis, finally, when I was in labor, I did nitrous oxide. Guess what? The number one vitamin that nitrous oxide depletes B12. I had this crazy, crazy aha moment. I started bawling because I knew it was like, I had had this beautiful son. I had you know, planned for this beautiful birth. I get on this nitrous oxide. And from that point, it was like done. Any B12 in my system that I had had completely depleted me of it because I was on nitrous oxide for three hours.
1: But Brett, you were just a stressed mom. You were just a mom who lacked sleep, who wasn't really sick, right? Who has
2: postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, postpartum anxiety, that that's just what I have. I'm crazy again.
1: Do do want to circle back because you mentioned your, your breast implants as well. Mm-hmm. So you had your breast implants. We talked about how we obviously know that that was very harmful because your immune system can't, you know, is really looking at it as a foreign object and it's causing your immune system to go haywire. Did you ever have your breast implants removed? Did you have an explant surgery?
2: Yes. So I had breast implant illness and while, so this was another thing was while I was pregnant. I actually, right before I got pregnant, I went and saw, uh, there's a couple of specialists here in Newport, Newport beach. And I had gone to one of the well-known specialists and right before I got pregnant and I wanted to take my implants out. And he suggested I needed a lift as well. And if I wanted to breastfeed, he would recommend waiting to take my implants out. So I said, okay, that makes sense. You know, breastfeeding was very important to me. And then I got, you know, got pregnant. And so when I was really looking in and I started this course for B venom, I knew for sure I had to take my plants out. I had no idea if they were causing me issues or not. But I knew, again, intuition, gut feeling, I knew they were. I knew something was preventing me from getting sick. And at this point, I was learning so much information and uncovering so many things I had never learned before that I said, I don't care screw this. I want these implants taken out of me so I can heal. And one of my biggest things before I started, before I started B venom was I wanted to take them out because I did not want to start B venom therapy. And then six months in be hindered again. I just, I felt like, okay, I'm really putting everything out there. I feel like at this point was like the big turning point with my, with having my son is, was really like, I am a mom. I have to bring my resources in I need to be smart about this and I need to be strategic because I don't have time to just be trying all these different things. So one of the very first things before I started B-Venom was taking my implants out and it was 100% one of those turning points in my healing. I felt by taking my implants out, it allowed me to begin healing. And come to find out, I had only had my breast implants for five years and my right one was ruptured, completely ruptured. So I was having breast implant illness. I was dealing with silicone toxicity and heavy metals and all the awful things that breast implants have. And this is, again, I had had gotten my implants in when I was 20. And when I got them taken out, I was 25. I had only had them five years. And I have pictures that, I mean, my whole right implant was so mangled. It looked like a bear got to it. It was horrible, completely yellow, discolored, and had just been leaking in my body for who knows how long.
1: So Brett, talk to us more about now when you finally made the decision, okay, I need to do bee venom therapy. And I guess before that, the question I have for you is you realize you had this, this problem this autoimmune problem where you couldn't process vitamin B12 yep. so did you start doing injections of B12 before the I did.
2: And but it and, took me oh,
1: oh, I'm sorry but did, did it help did that help was that an immediate help or, or was that a gradual thing over time that built up
2: it was a gradual thing and the reason for this was i had to try a couple different types of B12 so i started with the cyanocobalamin or cy, something cy Cobalamine, B12. And that was, that's basically kind of the most lowest grade of B12 that you can get. It's has some fillers in there, I believe, some preservatives, and it's just not a very like clean, as you could say, version of B12. So I didn't feel any difference. Then I tried the methyl And because I do have MTHFR gene mutation, and of course, you know, methyl is supposed to be great. Um, for MTHFR while well, it did the opposite effect it made me extremely angry um very anxious just I felt on edge and so I'm like okay this is not working and it basically came down to my genes because I have some other genes I think which is COMT if I'm remembering correctly I think it's COMT but that is a little bit I have a little bit more COMT than MTHFR so then this is when I found the and when I started injecting with the hydroxychloroquine, I started to notice a little bit of a difference. And I was like, okay, my cognitive is getting a little bit better. I'm getting a little bit more energy. My depression's getting a little bit better. And I've now been injecting for a year and a half. And I feel like I'm just, I'm still, I, I'm getting better, but I'm still figuring my dosages out because it's so unique anemia is so unique to um, each individual. And it just really depends on so many different factors play into how much B B12 you need. Did you go on a really long hike? What have you been eating? How has your stress been? Have you been exercising? And it's very unique. So I'm still figuring out the perfect dosage, but I feel like I am very close to getting it pretty spot on.
1: Brittany, so I'm really excited to hear about B-Venom therapy. We've had a couple of other guests in the past talk to us about it, but walk us through the process. Did you do it yourself? Did you join, you know, a group, uh, you know, I, I know there's a lot of B-Venom therapy groups out there that kind of work yeah. with you to do this. So talk us through the actual implementation now and, and follow up with the B-Venom therapy.
2: So in this implants out, started my B12 injections first, you know, try to get that going. And in this process, I was prepping my body. So another thing that was encouraged was to get celiac testing. So celiac testing is often a very misdiagnosed, just like Lyme disease. And, but I had eaten mainly gluten-free for many years, but I cheated. I, I cheated, you know, a couple times a month and I have a slice of bread once a week and I didn't feel anything from it. I felt nothing from it. And it wasn't until that I was extremely strict with going off of gluten, like very strict, not even eating out, um, for almost eight weeks and cooking most of my meals to then switching. And I did six weeks of gluten almost every day because I was prepping for an endoscopy because I really wanted that immune reaction because I wanted it you know, is most reactions. If there was any reaction going on with celiac in the gut, they can, you know, pick it up from the endoscopy. So it was when that I did the eight weeks. Oh yeah. You know, I don't really notice any difference to where I reintroduced for six straight weeks. And I just was in pain, so depressed, felt horrible. My fatigue was much worse and my endoscopy came back negative though. And so then I'm just like, okay, well, you know, I did some more research and from what I've collected is I just have a non-celiac gluten allergy. So, um, which again, you know, I'm not discrediting that. I, I, I personally don't believe I do have celiac just because I feel like if it's cross contaminated, I don't see like a big enough. Impact to when I'm like eating it straight. So I really do feel like I have just an allergy to gluten. So finally, after that endoscopy and getting those results, I felt like, okay, I'm ready to start B Venom therapy. And B Venom therapy, for anybody listening, is a very serious therapy. It, it, it's a natural modality, it's an ancient modality, but it is not something to be taken lightly. It took me almost a year of prepping my body. Doing tests, figuring out, you know, trying to find what autoimmune issues I was dealing with to be able to start stinging. It also took going on an anti histamine diet and very, very low histamine diet, very healing foods um, to really make my body as calm as I could to be able to handle the B better. Because bee venom is an extremely potent medicine. And I had had my first sting. I had gone to like a little workshop and I had my first sting. And you sting on your back, or at least I sting on my back, because it helps disperse the venom throughout your system a lot quicker. So obviously your spine's connected to your organs and you know, circulatory nervous system, brain, all your major organs. And that's the biggest thing, because when you have chronic Lyme, it's throughout your body and it's, it hides very easily. (laughs) So by treating it, um, on your spine, you're helping disperse that venom quicker. And it's not like I've been stung even with stinging on my finger and my finger will kind of swell up or my hands has swollen up. But it's because it's more, even though the venom is getting in your bottom, it's more localized. Whereas when you're stinging on your back, your nerves are so sensitive back there that it's dispersing it really quickly throughout your body. So you can better handle the venom. And a note I should kind it out in there is I actually thought I was allergic to bees my entire life because I have had high histamine. Because when you have Lyme disease, almost, you know, pretty much everybody has highest histamine reaction from these bugs. So when I would get stung, I would swell up like a balloon. And so when I found out this therapy, I'm like, how is this going to work? Because I think I'm pretty allergic and my dad's actually allergic to bees. And when I go, went to sting and I had my EpiPen and my Benadryl and I went to testing my back and I was fine. And I go, whoa, you know, I had a little inflammation and swelling at the side of the sting, which is very normal, but I go, okay, like maybe there's some hope in this. So from there, I just started treating and and started stinging myself with these live bees.
1: So Brett, how did you feel when you did this workshop and you did your first sting and you had your EpiPen and you had your Benadryl? Did you feel any better afterwards or was it really just sort of like nothing after? No,
2: I felt worse. It I got a hurt, you know, obviously, because it's so powerful that I... I had initially gotten energy, like it gave me energy, but then I went to go, I was staying in a hotel and I went to go to sleep that night. And my mind was like 50 miles an hour, nonstop. And I just had like this adrenaline because that's what venom can do to you. It gives you an adrenaline rush, but I was hopeful. I was really hopeful. And The whole process of bee venom is not to rush it. It's very, a personal journey. And again, there's many ways, you know, to treat and to go, but what I was taught was to go really slow, really, really slow. And to be intuitive, to listen to your symptoms, your sign. you know, these symptoms and signs, are you getting worse? Are you getting better? Are you Are you stuck in bed or are you, you know, slowly being able to function more? Because at the end of the day, we want more function. We don't want dysfunction. So um, I had ended up waiting after that, that little testing. Okay. You know, I had to go home, get my bees, prep my stuff. And I started stinging right during when the pandemic hit. That's actually when I started stinging was April of 2020. That was my first, I think it was April 6th, my first actual sting day. So um, I've now been stinging for a year and a half and it has been a journey. Let me tell you, it has been, been a journey for sure.
1: Well, Brett, you mentioned, you mentioned brain fog earlier, which you clearly don't have today. So I'm curious at what point in using bee venom therapy, did you notice a change for the better and realize, wow, this is really working?
2: It was very slight. It was not a aha moment. It wasn't a, I woke up and wow, I feel great. It's been very slow. And a lot of others who started with me are a lot higher as instincts. There are a lot more bees than I am, but something I always really came back to was this is my personal journey. And for bee venom that I always knew it was going to be a two to three year process. And I was hoping for two years and now it's looking like I'm going to be doing it for three and really just reassuring myself, kind of going back to when I got those stem cells and where I, with the mindset, whereas this time I felt like I wasn't more blind. I felt like I was a little naive and just, okay, yes, this is, but with this time it's mindset, but also having that support and really taking my time with this. And so with my symptoms very slowly over time, I've have gotten better. My brain fog is getting better. I can now have conversations and tell you, I still have Lyme brain. I, you know, have little brain farts, but overall I'm improving and I'm getting better, which is amazing.
1: So Brett, talk to us about the actual process and you know, how many bees are you using? How often are you stinging? And you have to leave the bee in you. We understand that you have to like leave it in there for like 20 minutes before you pull the bee out. Is that correct?
2: So that's a different, that's a difference is everybody who stings leaves it in for different points. I personally leave it in for one minute. So that's kind of like one to two minutes is like my max. And I do, I'm up to five stings three times a week. And I leave each one in for at least a minute. But with that, with my very first sting, I only left it in for like five to 10 seconds because venom is so powerful and it really didn't understand, really did not understand how powerful bee venom is until I started stinging where, you know, I thought it was silly. Oh, I had read, you know, oh, you know, leave it in for five to 10 seconds. Oh, I'm not, that's not going to do anything. And then I would leave it in for a full minute and then I, it hurts. So each sting I've really worked up. my very first sting, it you know, it was in for five to 10 seconds, then it was 20 seconds, 30, 40, 50, up till I got a minute. And that's how I keep my regimen. I'm very regimented with that and not rushing the process. Because anytime I've rushed this process, I have horrible herxing and with herxing, there's A normal response of herxing, of course, when you're introducing a new method for treating Lyme, you're obviously killing off bacteria, but if your body cannot handle and process that detox efficiently, it can actually be extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. So I go very slow. And like I said, I'm at a year and a half in most people that I know are at eight stings by now. And that's just not me. I've dealt with a lot of kind of hurdles along the way. I, you know, had, I'm, I have two autoimmune, so I have per- pernicious anemia. I have rheumatoid arthritis and I also have treated SIBO while stinging, which are all major, major issues.
1: Brett, as a side note, what did you use cell core to treat SIBO and, and, and herbal products?
2: I didn't, I actually didn't use cell I used, um, let's see here. I used some metagenics products and I worked with a practitioner who was amazing in helping me with treating my SIBO. But again, digestion is one of my biggest issues to this day that I still deal with. And so that is something that I had. It was a brutal protocol because I did an herbal protocol and I did it for like three months and it was really hard. And I was stinging during that time too. So I think I was at three stains about three stings when I was doing the herbal protocol and I got through it and it helped a lot, but fast forward, you know, just with life, it's, you know, diet and traveling can get, can affect me. So, you know, my diet's not perfect. Um, but over time, like I said, just my symptoms have slowly gotten better, especially my histamine response.
1: So I want to go back to the bee venom therapy. So do you think your histamine responses are now better because of the, of the B venom therapy specifically?
2: Yes, for so sure.
1: What other properties does B venom have to help? So like we talked about, obviously it can kill spirochetes. It can kill the Lyme bacteria, yeah. but the limited knowledge Rich and I have about B, B venom therapy also helps really bolster or strengthen your immune system. And it can yeah. kill a wide variety of other pathogens, not just the Lyme bacteria. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that is correct. And it basically, so with your, Your histamine, so and I have um MCAS so mass cell activation syndrome. So, when you have again, a lot, most people who have Lyme have this mass activation, mass cell activation syndrome. So, bee venom comes in and it actually helps destroy like that mass cell and like breaks it up. And again, I might not be (laughs) describing this perfectly, but something with the properties in the bee venom help to really target the mast cells, which is causing that histamine response. So when I was first stinging, I had to be like on an extremely low histamine diet because you're obviously introducing a histamine. So it's funny because you're introducing, you know, B venom, which can aggravate these mast cells. But in the long run, it actually ends up helping the mast cells and helps everything calm down. So that's why it's so important to go slow. And over time, I have been able to increase my histamine foods like crazy. I can eat so much more histamine. I can tolerate alcohol a lot better. I really, really had to cut alcohol, uh, when I was first seeing like the first six months, I mean like bare minimum, bare, bare, bare minimum. Now I can handle a couple, you know, skinny margaritas a week and be okay. And I can still sting, and I'm not going to have, uh, side effects from it. However, when I was you know, first into this and first doing this bee venom, I could not do that. It would severely affect me and my stinging and it can make you have an allergic reaction to the bees, which is what we do not want.
1: So I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's really important to know we've had so many people tell us they're interested in bee venom therapy, but they have horrible histamine sensitivities. They have MCAS and they can't do it, but it sounds like it's actually going to help them rather than hurt yes. them in the long run.
2: Yes. So- yes. And I'm, I'm very, um, I haven't done it yet, but I will be testing probably early this next year. I want to do another endoscopy to see where my mast cells are at. Cause I actually got, when I had my endoscopy, she also tested for mast cells and they were really high. And so I'm really interested to do that endoscopy again, to kind of see where my mast cells are.
1: Oh, you're gonna to have to share that with us, and we'll we'll update in the show notes of this podcast episode for people once you get that done, so they should come back and take a look, so we can we can keep them posted. But yeah. I do want to focus on because we, we often know when you have Lyme, you generally have other things go on as well. So it's you know it could be parasites, it could be other viruses, it could be co-infections, it could be Babesia, Bartonella, Ehrlichia, Rocky. You mentioned you had Rocky Mountain spotted fever earlier. So yeah. does B venom therapy address all of those things as well? You know, because some people think of it as is it a targeted therapy or is it more of like this broad spectrum immune boosting and, and, you know, sort of like broad spectrum, uh, anti pathogen, you know, protocol you can
2: use. So from my understanding, and if I'm saying this right, is I believe that it's immune modulating. So it's not just immune boosting. So that's the biggest difference is it's actually like modulating your cells. It's, you know, destroying just getting into to those cells and blasting these things. And that's why it's helping. It can help so much with the histamine and obviously with the Lyme, and with breaking down those, those biofilms and actually killing that, that, that pathogen. So, um, it is, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't, you know, say if it's, if it's gonna hundred percent kill, you know, the convections, but that is, yes, is, from the people who have tested who have you know tested positive for these bands and these strands different uh, co-infections of Lyme when they go to retest when they're done with their their treatment all of it's negative so yes and it is antiviral it's antiparasitical B venom antiviral antiparasitical antibacterial so yes um again I don't know if there's um an exact study on every single, you know, uh, co-infection. But from my knowledge, yes, it does treat all those things.
1: So I want to stress the fact that if it's an immune modulating therapy, and many of us with chronic Lyme have developed autoimmune diseases, probably more than one, modulating the immune system or, or really resetting the immune system is a powerful tool to help reverse or backtrack a lot of the autoimmune damage done from Lyme disease. So do you think that's helping you a lot as well?
2: hundred percent. So what's interesting is the B venom has brought out. So my very first autoimmune diagnosis was pernicious anemia. It wasn't until almost a year later, I was positive for rheumatoid arthritis. I kept testing and testing and I was teetering. You could see like the number, my number in my rheumatoid arthritis. And I finally just got a positive rheumatoid arthritis. I believe it was in January of this year. So that's almost, you know, just under a year of of testing and doing, doing my blood tests and that it finally came positive. So from what others have experienced, they have reversed some of their autoimmune. So, um, I have a a dear friend and she has, uh, what is the autoimmune not rheumatoid, but can't even remember the name right now. One of them is she's now negative. So when she goes to test for the autoimmune, it is, is reversed. So it's very powerful. And I'm very hopeful, very hopeful that my rheumatoid arthritis will be reversed. My pernicious anemia, pernicious anemia as of right now is not reversible. So it's like celiac in where you cannot reverse like celiac and you cannot reverse pernicious anemia. So I will will be injecting for the rest of my life with B12, but as of like rheumatoid arthritis, and I'm hoping to be able to reverse that.
1: So most of the people listening to this podcast are in the throes of Lyme and and trying to get better or, Mm -hmm. or close to the end of their journey or possibly in the beginning of their journey what tip or hack or advice would you give to these people that can help them shortcut their journeys that you wish you had when you first got diagnosed with Lyme disease?
2: Build a community. So talk with others who have Lyme to help you to understand what treatments are out there because there is so, you know, a lot more treatments becoming available and it can be very confusing on what to do and talk to others who have been in those your shoes, who, who have done treatments that resonate with you, because you have to do a treatment that resonates with you because most treatments have a big commitment. B venom is one of the most commitment times. And it's very hard. And it's also what scares a lot of people because it's a two to three year process. But to me, that resonated with me that really resonated because I felt like it would take at least that to kill all of this Lyme bacteria all uh, over 10 years of accumulating this Lyme bacteria, I felt like that resonated with me. And so build your community and try to find others, whether that's through social media or friends or local groups, connect with others. And the second thing is getting a Lyme literate doctor. I'm actually for the first time seeing a Lyme literate doctor since Dr. Phil uh, this next month in November. Who's, but again, I've been so skeptical because I was working with a group who really helped me. And then I felt like, okay, I needed, I needed some, some more personal attention to help me with some of these lingering issues that I'm dealing with. And so I'm meeting with her uh, this next month. And um, again, from another fellow uh, B venom patient, she helped lead me in her direction because not every Lyme literate doctor is going to be the right fit for you or they might not help you in the right way. So really connecting with others, talking, resonating, you know, and, and just leaning into your intuition to find that right doctor for you. A third thing is testing. So, um, you know, testing for Lyme, you can test through it through your standard blood test. Um, don't hundred percent rely on that because it's, often misdiagnose if it's a negative, something I learned was if a Lyme test is equivocal, that's a positive. So a lot of my tests, um, Lyme tests were actually equivocal and that's a positive test. So, you know, Igenx is a great testing, um, just kind of see like where you're at, where your bands are at and just try to understand it better. Um, and know that they're not alone. There's a lot of us out there. And to ask questions, do not stop asking questions. And I just love the power of social media right now. There is so many people who are helping with mold and parasites and SIBO and all these things that I had no idea about when I first started learning about Lyme. I just thought I had Lyme and okay, I had heard of co-infections, but Okay, yeah, maybe autoimmune, but it was like it wasn't until I kind of got my decks in a row of, you know, there's kind of a list of things that I would recommend going through and checking off before um, just treating Lyme.
0: So, Brett, while you were working on your Lyme disease, your Lyme disease was working on you and you were discovering things about yourself that you would have never learned had you not gone on this journey. So, talk to us about what has been beautiful about your Lyme disease journey. And talk to us about how that has inspired you to reach out and help others on the journey.
2: It has taught me so much. I feel like one of the biggest things Lyme disease has taught me is to have empathy, is to really empathize, which can be a blessing and a curse sometimes, because I feel like I take on a lot of people's energies. But at the same time, I feel deeply for people because I have been in that really, really dark spot, really, really, really hard times. And it's also made me a a lot stronger person. It's made me a stronger mom, a stronger wife. And it's really taught me what I want out of life and the kind of relationships I want and how to look for people who love me and understand me. And in that, it's also taught me patience because it took a lot of time with my family to understand really... What I'm going through, and of course, nobody really understands it until you personally deal with Lyme. But they're so much more understanding and supportive this day, which is amazing because I know so many Lyme patients don't have that. So I'm very grateful to have a good support system, you know, today.
0: So tell us about what you learned about yourself, not just the lessons that you've learned and the and the ability to empathize but what else did you learn about yourself and specifically as a young person you always had this passion for health and fitness and you have this passion for eating healthily and how did that reveal itself after you sort of stripped away all these sort of challenges or these expectations that are put on us by our families and by the educational system and and by society in general
2: i have learned about myself that I am capable of anything I put my mind to. That's really the biggest thing. And it might sound cliche, but if I put in the time and I believe in myself because self-esteem is obviously a big issue when getting so sick, but believing in myself and giving myself grace to heal has been the biggest thing. Because it has been very hard for me to give myself grace to actually heal and to unmask myself and get down to these nitty gritty and ugly layers sometimes that you deal with Lyme. And so I would say the biggest thing is, is just having respect for myself and giving myself time, time to heal.
0: So let's talk about the last question we ask every one of our guests on the Take Camp podcast. And that is going to be. Uh, Your husband, who is so wonderfully supportive of you during this entire journey, if he came walking into your room right after this podcast and you found that he had a tick biting him on his arm, what would you recommend that he do so he wouldn't have to go on a very challenging Lyme disease journey?
2: Number one, I would take the tick, put it in a Ziploc bag, and ship it off to, I think it's Tick Check or Tick Report. Uh, I would check it for co-infections. And... I personally would probably treat with antibiotics. Um, if, if I caught it within, I would rush it, rush it as fast. I would check every co-infection that I could. And if it did come back positive, I would put him on antibiotics. I am not hundred percent certain for what kind. It kind of would depend on, you know, co-infections and where he's at, but um, that's how I would treat it first. I would, I would try. And then if that didn't work, I would 100% move him straight to b therapy.
0: Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Brett Knight. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Brett Knight, please visit our Instagram page at Brett M. Knight. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We're due to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.